Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Charles Slavic of the Society for American Baseball Research, and you are listening to the Total Sports Recall Podcast, a part of the Sports History Network. Now, here's your host, Harv Aronson. Welcome to the Total Sports Recall Podcast, and today's guest is a friend and former associate of mine when I was a disc jockey and sports announcer in college at Slippery Rock State College, now Slippery Rock University of Pennsylvania. It's hard to wrap my head around the fact that I have not seen or spoken to Tim McCoy in over 40 years since I graduated from The Rock in 1982, but Tim was my sports director at the school radio station, then known as WRCK, and together we made a little bit of history by doing the play-by-play for a game between Slippery Rock and Wayne State University when the two teams were invited to play in Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of the Wolverines that houses over 100,000 fans. Tim has had a long and successful career and grew up like yours truly in western Pennsylvania. Tim's a graduate of Mohawk High School, and then, of course, from Slippery Rock. Tim's involvement in sports around Pittsburgh includes a wide range of experiences, from covering high school teams to some of the major colleges in the area, and even professional sports. This while working for radio stations, WBZZ-FM, WMBA-AM, WVBVP-AM, Pitt Panther TV, The Associated Press, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and WFAN. AM. Tim has spent time in the press boxes for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Steelers, Penguins, the University of Pittsburgh, Duquesne, Robert Morrison for the Pittsburgh Spirit. Tim also has spent several years working as a public address announcer for the Pittsburgh Hounds soccer team from the inception of the team until they moved into their home stadium, Highmark Stadium. For the last 22 years, Tim McCoy has worked for the Pennsylvania West Soccer Association. Currently, Tim is the executive director for the organization, and he's also served as the chairman of the state championships committee. Another role Tim was in was the managing director of the association's NPSO entry, the Fort Pitt Football Club, also known as the Fort Pitt Regiment. As the commissioner of the Eastern Regional League, Tim oversaw the U.S. Youth Soccer Regional League for the Mid-Atlantic and New England states. Currently, he is also a member of the U.S. Youth Soccer's Diversity, Inclusion, and Inequity Committee. Together, they seek to find ways to make the sport more accessible, more diverse, and more inclusive. Outside of his responsibilities with the PA West Soccer Association and other involvements, Tim lists his favorite sports moment 
as a toss-up between getting the opportunity to play against the famous Eddie Fainer, the king in his, king, in his court, or hanging with the famous Hanson Brothers. Tim's favorite sports venue is the Indianapolis Speedway and non-sports venue Rosebud. Outside of sports, Tim names his favorite non-sports moments, not counting the birth of his children, of course. As talking jazz music with Charlie Watts during a meet and greet before the Rolling Stones took the state for their Steel Wheels concert and now gone to Three River Stadium. Two philosophical thoughts conclude the intro of Tim McCoy. One of these is youth sports parents pet peeve, which he names as they think every game is life and death. Secondly, his advice to youth sports parents, let it happen organically. Let your kids try new things. If or when your child finds the sport or activity that really interests them, you will not have to make them practice. So welcome to the Total Sports Recall Podcast, Tim. And geez, can you believe it's been over 40 years since we really talked or spoke to each other? With this intro I just read for you, I must say you have some great experiences, cool jobs, great conversations, and represent a sport that's not particularly in the mainstream of sports in this country. I can't believe it's been 40 years. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's been that long since we were, uh, as Keith Jackson used to say, matriculating on the college uh, campus, on the beautiful college campus at Slippery Rock State College. Um, but time does fly. And uh, so it's good to, good to get back in touch and uh, have a chat. Absolutely. And looking at your website, uh, for PAOS soccer, it is involved with youth districts and leagues, a page dedicated to referees, coaching and assessment page results from the 2023 PA West Cup State Cup results from this year's open tournament, the President's Cup. Can you provide our listeners with a synopsis of how to navigate this very extensive website? And what is the President's Cup as well as some of the other major tournaments PA West sponsors or is responsible for? Sure. So uh, PA West is the... Um... To simplify it, we're the local branch of the United States Soccer Federation. Uh, they have designated us as their national state association. And with that, we have to provide uh, certain things. And, and those include um, registering and training referees, registering coaches, um, teaching uh, their their particular uh, coaching courses. And then um, we oversee the uh, administration of the game uh, in in our particular area, which for us is half of Pennsylvania, uh, the founding fathers back in uh, sometime in the 70s, U.S. soccer, when they were reorganizing things, opted to make uh, the United States. Uh, they didn't like 50 states. They gave us 55 states. So Pennsylvania is one of those states that was split in two. And uh, so we have a, a similar organization in the eastern half of Pennsylvania doing doing a lot of the same things. Um we are a joint states. That means that we're responsible for all the youth amateur soccer as well as all the adult amateur soccer, in addition to doing the referee stuff and, and the coaching stuff. On the youth side, we provide to various levels of play for kids who are just wanting to learn, to kids who are uh, you know, looking to achieve. They want to move on to um, – bigger and better things they want to they want to advance and potentially go play in college somewhere um, maybe pursue a professional career uh, we've got levels for those those children as well and um, a couple of our our more famous alums Megan Klingenberg who's currently playing in the NWSL uh, she is um, she's with Portland of course uh, was a member of the U.S. women's national team that won the World Cup uh, three World Cups ago, 
I uh, had to do a little history check there. Um, mm -hmm. Veronica Lasco, who's also playing in the NWSL, is another alum. And then uh, probably our most famous alum is not famous for his soccer playing, um, but uh, it's Pat McAfee, who no. uh, we all see regularly on ESPN now. But uh, he he was a regional level uh, soccer player and also discovered that he had a talent for kicking football and ended up going the football route and, you know, ended up with the Indianapolis Colts. And um, so Pat's one of our uh, one of our distinguished alums. Uh, but there's a lot of other players around who have played. Uh, Tyler Palco, for instance, played at a very oh, young okay. age with us before wow. he trans transitioned to uh, mm -hmm. uh, to football. And um, so we're so we're there, and kids can start as young as four and play till they're. Uh, we currently have an over sixty league for men. So wow. um, uh, cool. you know, so you and I could get out there on the field and play if we wanted to. Play. <laughs> Yeah, if I'm in, I don't know if I'm in that kind of shape right now. Uh, obviously, when a conversation about soccer, with a conversation about soccer, most people are going to think of the World Cup. So last year was the last running of the tournament, which Argentina won in Qatar. Does Pennsylvania West get involved with the World Cup in any way? And has anyone that's played within the PA West infrastructure ever played in the World Cup, which you kind of answered just before? Yeah, Megan has, has played uh... – in the women's world cup a couple of years ago, we've not had any, any men get to that level, uh, since, um, well, before we existed, we came into existence in the, in the, in the mid to late seventies. Um, uh, the Pittsburgh area has had some people that have participated, uh, on the national team. I don't know that, uh, there are any that have participated to the level of going to the world cup. Uh, but, uh, the Pittsburgh area from the thirties to the mid fifties, uh, was one of the hotbeds for soccer in the United States. Mm. Uh, in that era, uh, we had a team that would go to either uh, the U.S. Adult Veterans Cup or in to the uh, U.S. Open Cup final. And some years we'd have a, a team in both. Uh, in that in that area, there was in that era uh, that 20, 25 year span, we had uh, uh, just a number of teams that played at the very top of the game uh, from this area. Harmer. Um, was one that comes to mind, and and uh, there's six or seven gentlemen uh, from that era that are also in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So uh, oh, we had a rich heritage, and then the Steelers kind of took over in the <laughs> '70s, and so we're trying to grow the game back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the next World Cup is scheduled for 2026, and there'll be three host countries: Canada, Mexico, and the United States, according to Wikipedia. Have you ever attended a World Cup? match Tim or do you plan to get to one of the matches in 2026 that will be held in this country it's been since 1994 the World Cup took place in the United States uh, I've been to a women's World Cup match um, when we hosted here uh, on an emergency basis China had uh, had some swine uh, swine flu bird flu issues and hmm. FIFA moved the game to the United States uh, very rapidly uh, I want to say it was probably in the mid to early 2000s. And um, I did get to some women's World Cup games there. Um, games were held in Columbus. The U.S. women weren't involved at that site, but it was still uh, it was still a fun experience. I took my took my daughter, who was probably eight or nine at the time. And we went and uh, we enjoyed a soccer doubleheader. And uh, as the, the first game before as the second game was starting, the teams from the first game came over and sat down in the sections next to us. I think it was Germany and Japan. 
and my daughter went over and uh, got lots of autographs and uh, she was just walking around like, uh, you know, on cloud nine, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a good experience to, for her to be able to, you know, meet some of uh, the world's finest players uh, up close and personal like that. Uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, attend uh, some of the men's men's games that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, we will, uh, you know, we'll be supporting us soccer in uh, what they need us to do mm-hmm. as a state association to help promote those games. There won't mm-hmm. be any games in Pittsburgh, but that doesn't mean that uh, they still won't ask us to play, uh, play some sort of role. So, mm-hmm. well, I was lucky enough to attend Super Bowl, Super Bowl 43 in Tampa and, you know, being at a Super Bowl, that was pretty exciting. So I'm sure being at a world cup probably had that same championship type atmosphere feeling, right? Yeah, a little bit, although uh, in the preliminary rounds of the World Cup, it's just another soccer tournament. And there's not a whole lot of hype and, and a whole lot of uh, pomp and circumstance like there is when, mm-hmm. when it's one game. But, but a yeah. World Cup final certainly has, uh, is a big deal when there's, you know, there's a lot of hoopla and a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on with, with sponsors and you know, sponsored tents and pregame parties and postgame parties and things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, from what I can find out, the president of PA West is Matt Vidic. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly, but you can tell us a little bit about Matt if he is, in fact, the president. So Matt is Matt Vidic is is our president. He was just elected last July, and um, he had he's from the state. He's originally from Mount Lebanon, but he lives in State College, Pennsylvania now. Uh, he's a business owner up there, and uh, he was their uh, uh, club president, and he's also served as is the district director for our playing district that is in the mountain part of uh, part of the state. So Matt Matt goes back uh, a number of years with the game. He's currently involved with their adult uh, their adult portion of the club and and keeping their adult game keeping the adults on the field so that uh, that club's providing full service. They're not just doing kids; they're doing kids and adults. So um, Matt's. Uh, you know, Matt stepped into the role that was empty, and uh, we're moving forward. Excellent, excellent. Well, one of the things I found really impressive on your PA West site, Tim, is looking at the club list on the website, where at my count, I think there was about 130 clubs involved in PA West soccer, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's just on the youth side. We've got about uh, 110 adult clubs as wow. well. Well, adult teams, we, we use different, uh, uh, different, different language there. The adults kind of run more like adult softball or adult flag league football. You know, guys get together, gals get together, sure. they form on the adult side. But we've got about 100, 100 120 there. Um, as I said, at the various ages, they start as open. At the open level, we're 18, 19 college-age kids uh, coming home and playing in the summer all the way up through the over 60s. Uh, and then on the youth side, we do, we've got 130, I think it's 131 clubs situated around Western Pennsylvania. The majority are within an hour's drive of downtown Pittsburgh, wow. but we've got clubs, uh, as far East as Lock Haven, mm-hmm. uh, as far North as Erie, we've got, uh, Warren County, which is right on, mm-hmm. right on the, uh, New York border, Bradford on the New York border. Um, and then we've got teams that actually get permission to play in our leagues, Mm-hmm. Uh, across the state line in West Virginia, it's closer for uh, the folks in the northern panhandle wheeling, mm-hmm. the wheeling area. 
uh, Weirton area and, and even down to uh, Morgantown, it's closer for them to play in our leagues and come come our direction than it is to play in a league in their own state. So one thought I just had was it's PA West, but what about going east on the eastern side of the state? Um, is there a, an organization responsible for that side of the state, or do you guys extend out there? Yeah, no, the uh, there there is an eastern Pennsylvania youth soccer, and then there's also an eastern Pennsylvania adult soccer there, where we're all under one roof on our, our half. On their side of the state, there's two separate organizations with two different boards, and whatnot, but essentially, what um, what U.S. Soccer did back in this in the uh, '70s, they just took a divider and and split the state in half. So mm. uh, we've got the western half, and they've got the eastern half, um, and and their side of the state is certainly much more developed in the game of soccer. Uh, really? They've got uh, upwards of 140 kids, 140,000 kids playing. Wow. Uh, playing soccer over there. Uh, wow. and, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I can tell you that in the late 1970s at my high school, we tried to get a club team formed. And at that point, um, to participate in the Whitfield, uh, at that point in the WPIL, there were 22 high school programs. Wow. Um, where at the other end of the state, every high school had soccer, but not every high school had football. So the two the two ends of the state were kind of a uh, a dichotomy. In fact, a good friend of ours went to a high school that didn't have a high school football team. Wow. Well, that's interesting because at my high school, North Hills High School, I remember clearly that I was friends with a hockey player and they didn't have a hockey team. So they had to create a hockey club and go compete yep. against schools. So it's very similar to that. Uh so additionally, on this site, I was reading about the PA West Soccer Development Program. Can you explain what that is and the goals of that program? Sure. One of one of our missions from U.S. Soccer is to help with player development, help players improve and get better. And and, and different players, that means something different to different players. Uh, we had mentioned the players like you know, like Megan Klingenberg or, or Pat McAfee. Uh, they're very high-achieving players, and, and they go out and they seek the opportunities to play at the highest level. They want to be challenged. They want to play with kids that are are their equals that are going to challenge them in practice and help them get better. Uh, there are other kids that just want to kick around. They want to get better. All kids want to get better at whatever they're trying to do. Um, but uh, how quickly they get better and at what level they want to play is is all relevant to their personal experience. So we offer an, an Olympic development program at the very top end for kids. And it's it, you try out. And if you're good enough, you get in. And then you're coached by high-level coaches you have an opportunity to move on to a regional level team and potentially the national team. At a couple steps below that, we have the district development program. Mm -hmm. And the, this program is designed for kids that are only playing uh, what we would consider to be travel soccer, what we call travel soccer. It's, it's kind of recreational plus uh, the results of the games are tracked and standings are kept. But in the grand scheme of things, the, the outcome of those games really it's it's not a you know uh, it's not going to determine who advances to championships or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but the kids that play at that level still take it very seriously and they do want to get better. So we offered them a training program, and it's it's during the summer months and they'll train. They'll get two sessions a week, I think, for eight weeks. And uh, the same coaches that work in the ODP program will also work with them, so they're getting the same high level training. 
Uh, and then we wrap it up with a day where uh, they play uh, small-sided games and just have a little festival, and they get to compete. There's uh, each district has their own their own cluster of teams in the in the various age groups. Mm-hmm. So they'll get together and play against the teams from the other the other districts, and it's just a fun way to cap to cap that little uh, eight week eight week session off and and it's relatively affordable uh, because the other thing we find is some some parents don't have their kids playing at a classic level they don't have their kids trying out for ODP because um, those programs are expensive and there's travel involved out of state tournaments and all of a sudden uh, you know it can be a five six seven thousand dollar investment over the course of the year um, this is a program that we we offer you get high level training and it only costs you uh, 100, 150 bucks. It's, wow. it's relatively, um, uh, yeah, it's relatively inexpensive. We try to try to keep it very affordable. That's very cool. I, I mean, Tim, I looking at your site, I really learned a lot about soccer in Pennsylvania and by pursuing the web, perusing the website. I also read, was reading about top soccer. Can you summarize that program? Yeah, absolutely. So us soccer, us shoot soccer for years. And we're, we're a, uh, we're a member of us soccer, and we're also a member of U.S. Youth Soccer and U.S. Adult Soccer. So U.S. Youth Soccer is um, approaching their 50th year. And about 10 years into that, uh, a lady from here in Western Pennsylvania had an idea of offering soccer for kids that couldn't play regular soccer. Uh, hmm. For whatever reason, they had some physical challenges. They had some... Um, cognitive challenges. There's, you know, they're, they're hearing disability, uh, blind, whatever. So uh, a program called Talks, Top Soccer was formed and accepted the mantra of game for all kids. And that, therefore, we, we try to put, we try to give every kid the opportunity to play. Um, last year, Christmas time, we had a little a little festival for our top soccer teams. Uh, we invited all the kids from the various top, top soccer um, programs to come to an indoor facility. And we had a, um, a young lady show up in a wheelchair. And mm. uh, what we do is we, we uh, attached a hockey stick to her wow. wheelchair so that she could dribble the soccer ball. Oh, wow. And um, That's really so cool. Uh, there's a variety of different activities and it doesn't look like, it doesn't necessarily always look like soccer. Like you would think mm. some of the kids that are uh, somewhat, uh, they may be on crutches, but they're still ambulatory. Uh, they'll, they'll play and they'll play on a field and, and, you know, they'll play between two goals and they'll play what is, is small sided soccer, but it'll be with other peers who are also mm-hmm. um, cha- limb challenged, I believe uh, is probably the best way to, uh, refer to that but uh we've got other kids that um they need help and and we play soccer in other ways and the 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 real aim is to get the kids out and and to be active the other aspect of that program is every player that goes on the field has to have a buddy so we we get volunteers to serve as buddies Mm. and um a lot of times uh, the high schoolers that serve as the buddies for the top soccer program say that they get more out of the program than they think the players get but certainly wow. those players look forward to the opportunity to come out and, and get out on the field and kick the ball around and, and be with mm-hmm. friends and, and experience experience the game the same as uh, their, their able-bodied uh, siblings do. Yeah, I'm sure as long as you see those kids smiling and enjoying themselves, that's got to make it all worthwhile for sure. 
Absolutely. And we've, we've, a while back, uh, we actually had a player who initially started in a wheelchair and top soccer helped her have the drive and determination and, and helped her develop a little bit of discipline. And she ultimately ended up out of her wheelchair. She ended up being able to get up and, and move around and, and, uh, didn't need the wheelchair. So, Oh, that's um, awesome. You know, so that's, that's the positive side. The kids do learn like, like we want all of our kids to learn from playing the game of Mm -hmm. soccer or playing any sport Mm -hmm. for that matter. You want them to learn those things that they can take into life. Um, and, and, uh, the top soccer athletes are no different. They, they learn to persevere. They learn teamwork. They learn, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they learn to stick, stick with it. They, um, you know, they learn that it's, you know, things aren't always going to be all goals and, Mm -hmm. and completed passes and, Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the sport teaches them just like it teaches everybody else. Absolutely. And I remember when we were in school together, you and I used to play intramural softball. We did some other stuff, but I don't ever remember actually you having interest in soccer. Did you play as a youth or how did you end up getting so involved in soccer? Well, so we did, uh, it's, it's funny at my high school, we didn't have a high school soccer team, but a lot of the kids there. Uh, their parents came to the United States from Italy to work in the uh, the limestone quarries for Bessemer Cement. And so we were always kicking the ball around, and it was a fun game, and we played it phys ed. And uh, I always enjoyed the game. And, um, you know, then at, at college, uh, we, we pursued what we pursued. In, in our case, it was communications and working at a college radio station, writing for the newspaper, and um, – mm-hmm. You know, and I hadn't played played soccer in any competitive environment, so to even try out for the college team would have been uh, uh, probably a very interesting sight, considering that the most most of the kids on that team either came from overseas or or yeah. from up in New England, where mm-hmm. soccer was a very big sport. So, um, you know, so no, I hadn't played it. But then when I graduated and started covering it in. Uh, uh, in, in Pittsburgh for, you know, for the radio station, then I got to know some players and got to kick it around with them and uh, played with their front office indoor team. And, um, you know, just, just, you know, it helped, helped grow again, grow an affinity for the sport. So. Well, great. Uh, so let's get away from soccer we got a little connected. bit now. Yeah. Excellent. Sure. Excellent. excellent. So let's move away from soccer a little bit now. Let's talk about some of your experiences. One of your favorite moments you said was playing against Eddie Fainer. When I read that in your bio, I thought, oh, that's super cool because back in the day, Fainer and his King's Court came to my high school, North Hills, to play an exhibition. He and his teammates were amazing. At one point, he pulled all his fielders off the diamond because he was so confident that his hitters were not going to touch his pitches. So I know, too, that he had faced some Major League Baseball players and struck them out. How did you fare? or how'd, What was your experience like with him? So my lone at bat, I uh, laced a single to right field. Oh, no kidding. However, you hit him. <laughs> I did. Uh, however, I will, uh, I will let you know that I knew what pitch was coming, and I was supposed to pull the ball to the shortstop so that um, I could be thrown out at first base with the catcher cover. <laughs> so it was scripted? <laughs> It was, uh, and, it, and I'll be honest with you. <laughs> That's funny. Four, four very, very good athletes, uh, absolutely unbelievable talents. Uh, when we were, 
when when I played against Eddie, he was probably late sixties, um, and and still quite capable on the field, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it became more of uh, more of a show and uh, less of just playing straight up straight up games. Although they were quite capable of doing that. And uh, the weekend that I got the single, we played against Eddie on Friday night. And then uh, my media all-star team uh, played a warm-up game before Eddie played a fast-pitch all-star team um, at Wolfpack Park. And so in my game, yeah, we were, uh, we were gathered and, and, uh, uh, and it, was, it was kind of – it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I had all kinds of media guys, uh, guy junker from, from channel four was there okay. and Alan mm-hmm. Cutler from channel two and mm-hmm. tab Douglas, who, uh, was on the air here in Pittsburgh. We, we, you know, good group of guys and they all love playing the game. So we had a good time, but, um, they came over and said, is anybody not batted against Eddie? And I was the manager of the team. And I said, I haven't batted. And he's like, you're up. And, uh, <laughs> so he put me in the box and the catcher told me he's going to throw you. He's pitching from second base, by the way. He's going to throw you curveball, so move up in front of the plate so you can get the ball before it breaks and pull it to the shortstop and give me a half a step because he's going to throw he's going to throw you out of first base with me covering. Um, however, he said, <laughs> if you don't pull it to the shortstop and you hit a single anywhere else on the field, uh, just take a, you know, you hit, you get a hit anywhere else on the field, take a wide turn and come back to first base yeah. and hold. And, and, uh, the first baseman will tell you what we're going to do. And oh, so of no. course I, I, uh, I, I hit the single to right field, uh, which, which also, by the way, got me a lot of razzing from, from guys that I played with regularly because they said, that's the hardest I'd ever hit a, hit a softball in my life. Um, but <laughs> it comes against I, I, I'm on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I bet I make the turn. I come back to first base and the first baseman, a guy by the name of Dave Booth, who's like six foot four, 240 pounds, ex Marine, all muscle. He says, he says, take it. He says, I'm going to tell you when to take your lead, take your lead. He said, Fainter's going to throw you out behind his back. I'll tell you when to go out. I'll tell you when to come back. He's going to throw you out from second base. And, and so he says, take your lead. And I know more than get three, three side steps off of first base Outside foot, my right foot plants. He says, come back. I come back. He's standing there holding the ball. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And, and Fainer had thrown me out from second base. And the guys wow. in the dugout uh, were absolutely um, – they were absolutely like, yeah, okay. Um, because I, I literally slid out and came right back to the base. And when I came back to the base, the ball was there. But, uh, wow. but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he put on a demonstration of different types of pitches for the spectators after the game was over. And then, uh, then we all went to the bar and had, had some soda pops. Uh, oh, but cool. the following, the following, uh, Sunday night at Wolfpack park, he was playing a group who didn't want to play along. Oh, and, no. um, so Fainer, uh, so, and these guys were all serious players. A lot of them former college players that were playing fast mm-hmm. pitch. And um, so, so uh, Fainer, Fainer tells his guys, and Fainer, Fainer in his day was a really good hitter, and part of his show was he he would hit with a six inch bat, mm-hmm. and uh, he no longer hits. So it's just the, th- the three hitters, uh, his three field players, his catcher, his first baseman, shortstop. But um, they got up and started hitting home runs, 
And after <laughs> they'd hit six, he leans out of the dugout and looks at the other coach and says, do you still want to do it your way? And the coach is like, we're fine. Six home oh, runs God. later, Fainer leans out of the dugout and says, oh you want to, you want, uh, you, you still want to keep doing this? And uh, the guy, the coaches puts, he's like, I think we're okay. Three more home runs. He looks and the guy's like, okay, we get it. Cause they'd have just, oh, these God. three guys would literally, it didn't matter how they were pitched. They were hitting the ball over the fence at Wolfpack Park. Wow. And, and, um, there was nothing the pitcher could do to keep the ball in the park, and they were just going to stay at bat. That's crazy. And so the, the but, fastball uh, team, did they get any hits, runs, anything? Well, they did. Yeah, they well, they had scored two or three runs because in the okay. first in the top half of the first inning, but Fainer's yeah. team got them out because Fainer was still a really good pitcher at that time. Sure. Uh, probably not as fast as he had been, but he still he was deceptive because he could throw mm-hmm. he could throw risers and curveballs and he'd do mm-hmm. all kinds of trick trick pitches and. You know, yeah. uh, when he pit, when he would pitch you from behind behind his back, uh, mm-hmm. and you're used to not, you know, you're used to seeing the ball come come in from a regular pitcher in a normal way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of disconcerting to a hitter as well, because you're expecting your release point to be one one side of the body, and it comes out mm-hmm. on the other side of the body, and he he could throw it for strikes. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, even at even at his age, he was still very 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 talented, mm-hmm. and um, and he was just there to have some fun and play some softball. And, you know, he's just a big kid. He just wanted to keep being a big kid was, was the whole deal. But uh, the shortstop on that team was a guy by the name of Craig Estrada, who came up through the San Diego Padres system. And the reason that Craig was playing with Eddie was because of the shortstop who was in front of him in the Padres system. And it was a guy by the name of Ozzie Smith. Oh, no, no way. Oh, my God. So it's, Estrada figured he was never going to get to the majors, so he signed on with <laughs> he signed on with Eddie. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, Smith's in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, so if any of our listeners, if maybe our younger listeners, may have never heard of Eddie Fainter, you've got those listening have got to go out and Google this guy because it was just an amazing show he used to put on. Amazing acting, like you said, and uh, I'm glad I got the opportunity to, to see him perform way back when. Uh, but when you say you hung out with the Hanson brothers, are we talking about the guys from the movie Slapshot? If so, is this then the hockey movie starring Paul Newman? Fictional tale of a hockey trio of played by David Hanson, Steve Carlson, Jeff Carlson. If this is who you yes. met, are they as funny in person as they were in the movie? Uh, they are. And it is it is the Hanson brothers from the Slapshot movie. And at the time, I was I was working for a Budweiser wholesalership here. And the Hanson brothers were signed on by Anheuser-Busch to do promotion. They were doing a bubble hockey promotion in, uh, in, in select locations in, in different cities around the country. And um, so the three of them came into town and, and we spent the weekend going from, from bar uh, and nightclub to bar and nightclub, wherever around Pittsburgh doing these bubble hockey tournaments. And they would pose for, you know, pose for pictures with people and sign autographs. And we had Hanson brothers slap shot stuff that we were uh, off, raffling off and whatnot. So wow. it was just, uh, they, they are in person, like what you see um, in the movie. Uh, there was, <laughs> there was really no separation of church and state there. Uh, oh I think the movie director, you know, they, he just, he just let them run. That was their personality. And he just let them uh, play themselves in the, in the movies. Interestingly enough, um, 
Dave runs the ice arena on Neville Island here. He, he's a Pittsburgh uh, Pittsburgh resident. I used to go to the roller skating rink out in Neville Island when I was in high school all the time. Every Friday night we'd be out there. So I don't know if it's still there or not, but that was my old stomping ground, Neville I, Island. I'll be honest with you. I couldn't, couldn't tell you for sure, but I know the uh, the western end, uh, the northwestern end of end of the island, uh, there's a there's a hockey complex with mm. with also a, a dome that's used – and there's a track and a soccer field. It's all it's all owned by uh, Robert Morris University. Wow. I mean, did you save any of that stuff for the Hanson Brothers stuff? Do you happen to? So I do have an anything? autograph. I do have an autographed Hanson Brothers uh, goalie stick uh, hanging on my wall downstairs in the game room, and then I, I got okay. a picture with them choking me. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're wearing the thick glasses, and uh, you know, it's uh, they're, they're just they're good guys. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and, again, and my t- you know, it, it's, it's, I've, I've been fortunate. I worked in radio, so I got to hang out with some pretty cool people there. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to work for Budweiser and got to hang out mm-hmm. with some pretty cool people while I was doing that job. And this job allows me, uh, affords me the opportunity to meet, uh, meet some cool people too. Although most of those people are soccer people Sure. Uh, in the two prior jobs, I, you know, uh, uh-huh. had a little more, a little more outreach in, in variety as far as who I was meeting, but, um, and again, for our listeners, if you haven't seen the movie slap show, that's a must see, um, Tim, tell us about your personal philosophies that you've stated of parents belief that games are a matter of life and death and your advice of letting results happen organically. So I think the, the biggest thing that, that we face in, in sports with youth sports is that kids we put them in youth sports so that they learn life lessons. But as adults, we believe that what is happening on the field is a reflection of us. And, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers, uh, and I'm going to miss, I'm going to, I'm going to screw the quote up, but Mr. Rogers basically said the work of children is to play mm-hmm. and play is play is how you learn. Um, and it, 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 and so therefore it should be their work. Uh, unfortunately, as adults, we want our 10-year-olds to go out and perform like uh, the pros that we see on TV. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's regardless of whether it's baseball or football or soccer or ice hockey or track or boxing or wrestling or whatever it is. We want our kids to be performing at that level. But it takes those athletes a very, very long time to actually master the skills necessary to perform at that level. And uh, oftentimes it's through experimentation and making mistakes that they learn what to do and what not to do. And um, so I would argue that mistakes are an important part of the game. And any coach that wants to have kids play a very regimented style and, and not allow them to experiment and not allow them to take risk and not allow them to make those mistakes and learn those lessons is, is not the right coach for your child um, and probably shouldn't be working with children. He should probably go work, um, you know, at the very lowest level as a high school coach, uh, but probably more, more likely be at the college or the pro level. Um, you know, coaching kids is, is difficult and it's not for everybody. And uh, so in England, they do a very good job. And in most of Europe, they do a very good job in the soccer academies that all the pro clubs run. They do a very good job of figuring out who is good with working with children and who is not. And, and that's not to say 
that you're not a good coach because there are coaches that relate very well to adults and, and can work with adults. And there are other coaches that uh, are just better suited to work with kids and the kids, it's going to be a more meaningful experience for the kids as well. They're going to learn more and, um, and move on from it uh, as well. But, um, but I think that parents, parents put too much pressure on their kids to perform because they, they want us, you know, that's a mini me out there. And I want my kid to Mm -hmm. make me look good by him looking good. Uh, but the reality is that's not you out there. And uh, you'd probably do your kid a favor if you would let him play and you go to the concession stand and stand there and talk to somebody. Um, Absolutely. And, and just have a conversation and not pay attention to what's going on on the, on the, mm-hmm. on the field or on the rink or on the, you know, on the court, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so and, and when we're on that subject, just, you know, it makes me think of back of a memory I had when I was maybe 12 years old, somewhere around there. This would have been 1972 or whatever. I remember going to a little league baseball game to watch a team play. And this parent was upset with some call by the umpire or something. And he actually got in an argument with another parent. And I can still see like it was yesterday. They were on the field arguing and he throws a punch and breaks his finger on this guy's face. And even at 12 years old, I'm thinking to myself, how ridiculous is that so you know even today i don't get that we were just talking about before we started recording about an incident you had to resolve this morning with something very similar so i, I don't understand why, why parents how the parents can get like that it's really ridiculous well it's 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 probably not as as difficult as you might think or not as hard uh, as you might think because again um i think we all want stuff for our kids that's better than what we had. And, and I will say that it's our generation that probably started youth sports down this path. Um, mm-hmm. Because as kids, I know growing up where I grew up, we had, we had a little league baseball team, but um, the only organized football team we had was, was flag football at the elementary school. Um, the only organized baseball, so we had a softball team at elementary school, but we didn't start playing. There weren't, there weren't all of these youth sports for four-year-olds and six-year-olds and eight-year-olds and mm-hmm. 10-year-olds. Um, that didn't come around really until our generation started to become parents. And then, then we really stepped up the organization on it because I think a lot of us felt that, well, you know, I probably could have had a pro pro contract or probably could have played, um, you know, in college, if I'd have just had better coaching growing up. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting because uh, I'll I'll let everybody in on a on a little secret here, and that is that having having spent time, um, the first realization for me that that pro athletes and amateur athletes and, or the average athlete are different is that I uh, when I was doing high school football on Saturday afternoons for WNBA. And then I was covering the, the Steelers on Sunday afternoon for WFAN. Um, the difference between the two games is night and day. And I was fortunate in that I saw some great, great players um, at Aliquippa. Ty Law um, mm-hmm. was one and he just stood out on the field. Wow. He was clearly head and shoulders better than everybody else. And he's in the pro football hall of fame. Um, yep. There were some other athletes that I covered from that era playing high school football that ended up in the pros. And, and, and again, they were clearly physically superior to the other players and all the coaching in the world wasn't going to 
wasn't going to make any of those other players better. It's just that sure. some athletes get juice and they get genetics mm-hmm. that the rest of us don't get. And mm-hmm. um, those guys are, for lack of a better term, freaks of nature. And the same same yeah. with on the women's side. Um, mm-hmm. They're 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 just uh, an anomaly. They're not they're not like the rest of us. And the rest of us, no matter how hard we work, we we're just not going to happen uh, as much as we we might want it. And and so that's why I say to parents, just step back, take a breath, and let it happen. Because if your kid is one of those athletes, mm-hmm. uh, and he really wants to pursue that that particular sport, whatever the sport is. Um, He'll figure it out on his own, and then you'll have to stop him from doing it rather than encouraging him or making him practice. Sure. It'll be the other way around. It's like, hey, you got to come in here and do your homework. No, 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 five more minutes shooting hoops or whatever it is. So, you know, my, my son was – my son's a musician, and he was that way with music. He was a good soccer player, a uh, very good referee. Uh, loved doing both of those things, but he loved music the most. And he'd spend six hours a day rehearsing music, wow. uh, practicing different things. We never, we never had to tell him to do, you know, to spend a minute um, on on studying music. Um, getting to soccer what? practice was a different issue. Yeah, is that what he's doing now? Uh, actually, he's right now he's a, he's he's a chef, um, but uh, he he's he's got a master's degree in percussion. Wow. And uh, plays uh, plays a bunch of different instruments. He's a jazz bass player. He plays guitar. He plays piano. Uh, plays drums, percussion. Wow. Um, you know, uh, marimba. Um, various various uh, percussive instruments as well. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, and also can play trombone a little bit. So, um, holy crap, good for but, him. Um, but yeah, he's. Uh, uh, had to had to uh, pay some bills, so he got a he got a job working at a restaurant and worked his way up to chef. So um, excellent. Oh, he's multi. So you never know where the road of life is going to take you, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know who knows? Maybe someday he'll get back to uh, doing music on a serious level. He still fiddles with it. He still he still does some stuff in you know yeah. open mic nights and things like that. But it, um, it it's not the all encompassing um, sure. obsession that it was in high school and college and his first couple of years out of college. Let's do a little bit, uh, traveling back in time now, now our time together, at Slippery Rock and partnering at WRCK. And how vivid is your memory of that day in Michigan broadcasting that Wayne state football game for me going to that monster <laughs> stadium is a clear memory. And I always describe it as with the most stadiums, you'll enter the front gate, you take your seat starting at the bottom level, but in Michigan, when you enter the top, you are at the top of the stadium. It was like a big hole in the ground. But I recall representatives yes. leading us to the broadcast booth. And as students, it was so cool because it was very professional. I remember us having a headset where they fed us in-game stats. Your memories of that day? So that was actually my second time at Michigan Stadium because Slippery Rock had played there twice. So I, I was there, uh, there as a freshman as well. Yeah, and the um, first game as well as a student. And, that, and, and the first, you know, we pulled up to, uh, to the stadium the day before. And um, you're looking at this thing, and I'd seen it on TV a number of times watching the Ohio State-Michigan game, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the top of the bleachers was only, a, you know, a couple stories above the bus. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. this can't be right. This, this is the football stadium. And then we go in the tunnel, and we just uh-huh. kept going down and down and down. And then eventually we walk out on the field, and it's like mm-hmm. this place was just mammoth. 
Yeah. And uh, you, that's when you realized that it was a hole in the ground. Yeah. And um, and a very big hole in the ground at that. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. It. Um, um, you know, th- that was a special memory. Uh, getting getting to go there uh, twice was was something. But uh, yeah, being up in the press box and and experiencing games at a completely different level because they were they were giving a Division two game that the, the uh, Division one treatment the way mm-hmm. um, the way it was. And uh, I, I can remember going to Bucknell. I don't know if you were. I think you were part of that crew as well. We went to Bucknell to do a game. Yeah. Oh my and, God. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, the same deal there. It was like, you know, the, the uh, sports information director was the God, nothing happened on the field or in the press box yeah. without him uh, giving it a, giving it a thumbs up. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's slippery rock. You're in your own little, little cubicle, so to speak, your own little booth closed yeah. off from everything else that's going on in the press box. And um, so it was, it was just uh, it was interesting to see that world, and then and then when you go to the pro level, it, it takes a whole another step uh, sure. up as well. But yeah. um, and if I remember right, I think there might have been sixty thousand fans in the stadium that day, and I remember looking around, going, "There's nobody here," because the stadium seats like over a hundred thousand, and we had like sixty, I think, and it made the stadium look empty. And you would think sixty thousand fans, you'd have a full stadium. Yeah, it's it's all perspective, um, you know. Big places with with average size crowd, you know, what what would be a big crowd in one place uh, right. can be a very small crowd in another place, and and you're absolutely right. The the uh, the crowds, the, the you know, sixty thousand people is is a, about a third capacity, half capacity yeah. in that place. So I um, think they've actually added seats to that stadium since then. Uh, but sitting there in that broadcast booth that day, did you think to yourself, this is what I'm going to be doing one day? Because that was my intention coming out of Slippery Rock. Obviously, life took a different path for me and didn't end up in any broadcasting roles. I know our friend Mark Raz made it really big in radio. Um, he was part of our crew at WRCK and, and obviously you and you got into radio. Uh, kind of doing this podcast now makes me feel like I've come full circle because I end up doing what I really actually wanted to do when I left Slippery Rock. Well, podcasting is, I think, going to be the new radio. Um, You know, there'll still be broadcast broadcast channels, but I think uh, this form of communication um, is is going to be become the prevalent prevalent form because of the way um, we're starting to consume um, what what used to be radio programming. And podcasting allows you to do do things that regular radio broadcast radio. won't allow you to do because they've got to put, build in those commercial breaks so that they can pay the bills. Um, sure. You know, there's, a, there's other ways with podcasting to pay the bills. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think this will become it. Uh, I, I do think uh, going back to your original question. Um, yeah. I think there were a number of us that thought we'd be the next Brent Musburger or, you know, the next Keith Jackson mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the reality there is there were a lot of talented people. We worked with a lot of talented people, but there's a lot of talented people coming out from a lot of other places as well. And and finding, you know, being in the right place at the right time and, and creating that right situation so that you can you can move into those those vacancies and fill those shoes mm-hmm. um, requires good fortune in a lot of cases. You can have you have a lot of talent, but there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh, good luck that has to go along with it. 
Yeah, that was going to be my next stop because I did give it a shot. Uh, I had my my uh, demo tape with me, and I went to a couple of radio stations, and it just never worked out. I got frustrated. Ended up joining the military and the Coast Guard, and the rest is history. Worked in corporations for years, and uh, finally, these podcasts and he's given me the opportunity to go back full circle to do what I like doing. Um, so, and I know the competition podcasts. There's so many people doing podcasts, and. As you're indicating with money and all that, when you look at Joe Rogan's podcast, I was reading the numbers on him the other day. He's got millions and millions of listeners. So uh, competition is deep. But you know what? The guy that I'm with, the Sports History Network, we talked about it. We said, listen, go out and enjoy it. That's the bottom line. If you're enjoying what you're doing, don't worry about who's listening. Just have fun with it. And uh, for me, it's been that way so far. So uh, I'm glad I took on the challenge. Yeah, and I think authenticity comes through. Um, you know, there's there's a number of people out there that are concocting things, and you know they're not really being true to themselves. And eventually, they'll fall they'll fall to the uh, to the wayside. But if you're authentic and you enjoy what you're doing, and and um, you know attack it with curiosity, then you know that'll come through, and it'll it'll find its audience. And and it may be a big big audience. It may be a little audience. Uh, but it'll find its audience and, and you can slot in and, and enjoy doing that. I've, I've been fortunate while I didn't become Bob Prince um, or <laughs> Keith Jackson or Brent Musburger. Uh, I have been fortunate that I um, all my jobs have been recess. I mm-hmm. like to say um, I've not really worked. Uh, yeah. You know, jobs, mm-hmm. jobs and work are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had jobs that I've enjoyed uh, with people that I've enjoyed. And they've been challenging and I've learned, uh, but at the same time, they haven't been work. I haven't, you know, I'm sure. not digging ditches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are times where every once in a while I will think to myself, boy, you know, it'd be nice to be back on the farm, mm-hmm. uh, just rolling around the pasture, uh, rolling around the hay field, baling hay, uh, because that's kind of mindless work. But uh, yeah. But after you make those bales of hay, then you've got to put them up in the barn. And that's that's where the work part of the job comes. Sure. And and so um, quickly that thought passes. But um, but I've been fortunate um, that I've had had uh, three really good employers and um, jobs that I've really liked with people that I've really enjoyed working with. And, and I've yeah. learned things and saw things and and been able to meet people that I would have never otherwise been able to meet. So, um you know, did I end up where I wanted to? Yes, in, 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 at the end, it wasn't the it wasn't the goal, but I ended. Up, I think I ended up where I wanted to, um, sure. because I've had a had a worthwhile experience uh, through mm-hmm. through throughout my career, and mm-hmm. uh, and the bottom line is hopefully we're you know in this particular role, growing the game of soccer, helping kids get better, um, and helping them develop life skills so that they can be prepared for whatever their journey takes them to. Um, because the overwhelming majority of the kids that play in my organization are never going to play in college. They're never going to play professionally. Um, most of them are going to end up in sales or they're going to become a police officer mm-hmm. or, um, you know, uh, maybe a farmer yeah. who knows, well, but, uh, but they can learn from the experience of playing on a team. And, mm-hmm. and that's the important part of what we're doing. And even if they don't end up in soccer, they look back at it as a memory and they, they'll always recall, you know, I was part of PA West soccer and, you know, Tim McCoy and his crew helped me with some really great memories. So they'll always have that, even if they don't make it in soccer. 
But uh, since we left the Rock, they've had some successful football seasons, and this year they've actually been ranked as number high as number four in the country. I was kind of disappointed last weekend they lost the PSAC uh, championship, and today they're playing first round of the playoffs. But I'm sure you still follow Rock football. I do. Uh, unfortunately, I am not going to be able to. Uh, I've got some other things on the schedule, so I'm not going to get to the game today, and I'm not going to be able to live stream it either. But um, yeah, big game today, first uh, first round of the NCAA playoffs, and um, it was disappointing to see that they didn't go undefeated. Uh, I was yeah. a bit surprised that they fell from number four all the way to number 15. Yes, um, I saw that. Uh, and I'm not sure, but the NCAA at the, at the lower division levels, um, the ranking system is, is handled differently. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly they got a, they, they, uh, they still have a home football game. Um, I'm not sure if they win this week, whether they'll have a home football game next week or not, but, sure. um, but they, um, they've had, uh, They've had a, a, a good, healthy run of success, and and actually most of the athletic teams at the university did, um, mm-hmm. or have had uh, pretty good athletic success uh, in recent years. Um, uh, but it's uh, you know football is is the king, and it's it's the one that's out there that everybody everybody sees, and and so um, hopefully they they get a good outcome yeah. today. I think they'll probably probably rebound from last week's upset. Um, I, I don't know if it was complacency, overconfidence or what it was, but, um, and I'm sure Kutztown's team was, was probably pretty good. Sure. They had lost twice. And when I was looking at their record, I was like, okay, they've lost twice. And Slippery Rock was just smashing opponents all season long. I thought for sure they win that game. So today they play East Stroudsburg. Hopefully they'll, they'll be able to win that one. I know they've had some really good runs, got pretty close a couple of times over the years uh, to the finals. Um, I know one of the teams that knocked them out, Ferris State, I was reading something about their head coach the other day being suspended for today's game. Did you see that? I did not, no. Yeah, Ferris State's coach got suspended for one game because last year when they won it, the players were lighting up cigars in the locker room. And the NCAA looked at that as a violation. (laughs) So they suspended him for one game today. Uh, so I remember, I remember reading comments wow. from him. He's not sure if he wants to go to the game or he wants to sit in the stands. Uh, but Ferris State, uh, one interesting about interesting thing about them, if you weren't aware, is that Chicago Bears, um, they had to start Tyson Badgett, um, Badgett as their starter the last few games, and he went to Ferris State as his rookie season. So it's interesting that a small school like that has a starter in the NFL. And he played against Slippery Rock. Slippery Rock was apparently mentioned when the Bears were on national television the other night because they were talking about Badgett. And they said, yeah, he beat Slippery yeah. Rock. And I was like, hey, Slippery Rock got some recognition. Back when we were in school, though, yeah. I remember Slippery Rock was all the rage. Everybody was talking about because of our name and everything else. It was it was a lot of fun. But uh, Oh, yeah. So I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about. Today. We've had many great experiences in your life. And as your last thoughts, of course – you being from Pittsburgh and covering the Steelers at one point, I have to ask you, what's your opinion of Kenny Pickett? I think Kenny is, is a, I think he's still learning the NFL game. There's, there's a difference. Uh, and, and I would expect here in the net, I think we'll, we'll truly see the, in the second half of this season, whether Kenny Pickett 
is is the answer to the Steelers uh, quarterback issue or whether they'll um, whether they're going to need to look elsewhere. And it depends on what they want from a quarterback as well. Uh, I was surprised because, I, you know, he was a fifth year senior coming coming out, which was older compared to a lot of quarterbacks. And I think some of the quarterbacks come out too early. And I think uh, that's why you you have issues with with some of these quarterbacks that are taken very, very high. Well, they're coming out and they've only played two years of, of Division One football, and some 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 of them have only been a starter for one of, one of those two years. Um, so, so I think I think Kenny benefited from having a full college experience and playing at, at a ma- in a major major uh, Division One conference. Um, but that being said, there is a vast difference between even playing it, at the Division One level in in one of the um, one of the five big five conferences and playing in the NFL. Um, because even in the big five, when you're, you know, let's look at Alabama and Georgia and those two, those two programs are loaded every year. Um, they would have a tough time, um, because they have weaknesses in their starting lineup that, uh, even bad pro teams wouldn't have, uh, comparatively between the pro game and the college game. They've got really, really good college teams, but they're still missing some players. If they were, if they were to take that exact team and put it into pros, they're still coming up short. Um, you know, the thing I learned about the NFL was, and and this happened because I was there when the transition occurred from Chuck Knoll to um, Bill Cowher. Mm-hmm. Bill Cowher essentially took the same team that Chuck Knoll had, with the exception of cutting uh, a few players, including. Uh, including Huey Richardson, who was mm-hmm. a former number one draft draft pick, mm-hmm. but um, and a bust. Essentially, it was the same team, and you know he made the playoffs with a team that went seven and nine the year before. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it was a veteran team. It wasn't a team that was young. Chuck Noll didn't have a young team uh, that he was bringing along. It was a it was a relatively veteran side, and Bill Cowher stepped in and took those same guys to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of part of that was just uh, the coaching staff that Chuck Knoll had around him, and giving those players the fresh perspective that that Chuck Knoll would bring in. Uh, I think uh, I think we see it uh, in New England a little bit with his coaching staff up there. Bill Belichick had had, had a good history of finding good good assistant coaches, and uh, but he was also the beneficiary of having Tom Brady. I think once Brady left, plus he'd lost a number of uh, really high level coaches mm-hmm. and he, he you typically you, you get that initial core group that you bring in and you have great success but the replacements for those guys sometimes are more difficult and I think that's that's what we're seeing a little bit with Belichick now I think that's what Chuck Knoll was going through back then mm-hmm. um, but uh, what that told me was that the athletes in the room the the record that they put up uh, is somewhat dependent on on their coach and the perspective that the teams have, um, because the same team went from seven and nine to I think uh, ten and four the following year, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see that in the NFL, pretty much every team has the same amount of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, most teams have one guy at the top that's an ex- it, 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 that's an exceptional athlete. Um, when you get to the bottom end, there's, there's, you know, the difference between the last four guys kept and the last four guys cut negligible. You could make a coin toss 
and you'd be keeping you'd be keeping a same level athlete. Um, might not be in the same position, but it would be the same caliber athlete. And um, and I think uh, most pro sports are like that. Um, you know, so for every Troy Polamalu, then from number two down, uh, everybody else is relatively close comparatively. And the farther down the roster you get, the closer the closer it becomes. And um, so I think I don't think Kenny is. I think Roethlisberger was probably in. You know, probably if he he wasn't if he wasn't number one, and Troy Polamalu for a good portion of Roethlisberger's career was the number one guy. Um, Roethlisberger was probably number two, number three. Um, I'm not sure Kenny is in the top top three, top five category. Could be um, if he figures the game out, but I think he's he's certainly not. He's much closer to the top than the bottom. Um, but I also think that um, there's some other other things there. I'm not sure that the offensive coordinator is necessarily the right guy. I'm not sure he understands the pro game enough, uh, even though this is his third year in the pro game. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, with a different, uh, with a different coordinator, um, whether it would be different. Um, I also know that in the pro game, as the offensive and defensive lines go, so goes the team. The games are, yeah. you know, it's, it's a cliche. The games are one in the trenches, mm-hmm. but they literally are one in the trenches. And if you don't have, mm-hmm. if you don't have good line play, uh, you know, you can have the best running back in the world, the best quarterback, the best wide receivers, but they're going to be they're, they're going to be struggling all the time if your offensive line isn't good. Um, and the same yeah, on the defensive side, you can have best defensive backs, mm-hmm. best linebackers. If the defensive said, line doesn't, on, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, as Steve Fidel, when he was on as a guest, we talked about the same thing, and he one of the first things he said is, "You got to have the offensive line, defensive line." Uh, and of course, you mentioned coaches, and Matt Canada has been on the hot seat for, since game game one. Uh, a lot of people want to blame him, but I listen to Locked On Steelers every day and Chris Carter in that podcast, and they're consistently talking about it's not entirely Matt Canada's fault. Um, if you watch replays and some of the plays taking place, uh, Kenny Pickett misses a lot of receivers. You know, he's overthrowing, underthrowing, and if he was more accurate, it might be a different story. Yeah, that's that's true, and and there's also been some dropped, you know, some drop passes as well. Kenny's put sure. the ball where it, mm-hmm. where it should have been, and and the ball hasn't been handled. Um, and they've had some injuries as well. I I think though the last couple of weeks it it looks like the offensive line has has started to come around because mm-hmm. um, the offensive line play has been been uh, uh, dicey at best early in mm-hmm. the season, and it looks like they're they're starting to figure that out. I I was not a fan of the higher um, of the uh, offensive line coach, and I'm drawing drawing a blank, but uh, yeah. he didn't have the best offensive line with the Chicago Bears, and was let go for there. <laughs> excuse me for that reason. And then Mike Tomlin decided to hire him and bring him in. Um, <laughs> but sometimes that circumstance as well, you can be you can be a bad you know you can have bad situation in one with one head coach, and you come in and you're you're you know you're a star. Uh, with a different organization with a little bit different, different approach. Well, so Broderick Jones, um, Broderick Jones is definitely a difference maker and he's going to be a difference maker. Um, that kid is something else. Uh, yeah, so for sure. I'm going to give you the last word, Tim, but I just want to say too, that um, I don't think people realize unless they're a real soccer fan, how popular and big soccer is in this country. I think you've proven that today. 
um, showing to how involved soccer is really in this country. Um, I think people need to realize that, uh, you know, while the other sports are taking all the attention, soccer is very well organized here. And, and apparently, and I've learned today how big it really is. Yeah, it, it is a, uh, it's a number one sport, uh, in the rest of the world. Um, most of the other world, you know, in, in a lot of other parts of the world, uh, of course they don't have basketball. They don't have baseball. Uh, they don't have football. Uh, well, they, uh, in some countries now, basketball is starting to catch on. The NBA is doing a really good job, particularly, mm-hmm. um, in the Asian countries. Um, but, um, Soccer's the sport. If you you go to any you know anywhere in Europe, and you look at the sports page, um, a lot of times the front page of the newspaper will be covered with with soccer. You know, uh, we'll have two or three soccer stories on the front page, and the sports section will be devoted to soccer with a little mention maybe of track and field or maybe tennis or maybe you know uh, some of these other sports, but. Um, you know, we'll see the NFL's reaching out and trying to make inroads in Europe with, with games in London, games in Berlin. But uh, I think they're going to be hard-pressed. I think the other the other aspect um, of the sport, one of the, one of the reasons that I enjoy the sport is you know that when you go to the stadium to watch a game, it's a two-hour commitment. Mm-hmm. The game has two 90-minute halves uh, with a 15-minute halftime. So if the game starts at 7... By nine o'clock, you're going to be headed to your car to head home. Um, you know, it's not a long, drawn-out affair of three hours uh, that the NFL games now regularly surpass at three and a half. Uh, Major League Baseball went well past three to three and a half. They're trying to rein it in a little bit. Um, you know, and and what we've done is soccer is not a coach-centric sport. There aren't any timeouts once the whistle starts. Uh, it's at the discretion of the play, the referee to keep time, but it's the, the players really control things. There's no stop and play and, and having the coach send a play. In. The, the players control <laughs> everything. Um, it wasn't so long ago when you and I were kids, quarterbacks called their own plays. You know, the point guard learned what, what needed to be done. And the point guard ran, you know, ran the show for offense and defense on, you know, on the basketball court. Uh, pitchers and catch, catchers, uh, they worked out the signals. Nothing came in from the dugout. Um, somewhere that all of our sports have become more coach-centric, and as they become more coach-centric, uh, there's been more manipulation of the game, and, and we, uh, we start to see, uh, see that. Um, soccer is not a game that, that is, is, uh, can be coach, coach-centric, so it allows the game to still be over in two hours. I mean, I can remember baseball games when I was covering the Pirates. The average baseball game was two hours and 10 minutes long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it just is progressively since back then gotten progressively longer. So um, sure. so that's one part of the game. And I think, um, I, you know, I, I think we've here we, we're, we're used to having um, we want scoring, scoring, scoring. And it's because we don't want to take the time to learn the nuances of the game, which is why. Baseball games are so long is, you know, we, we didn't we didn't want to learn the nuances of a two to one game and, and figure out what was going on with the cat and mouse between the pitcher and the hitter and the hit, the pitcher and the runner and so on and so forth. Um, soccer is a game of nuances that you really it's a chess match on, you know, with with live chess pieces. 
and the players are making their own decisions on where they move as those chess pieces. So it, um, it's something that you have to, you know, you, you have to take a little bit of time to learn, but, um, MLS is growing. MLS has, um, you know, almost all the, all the teams in MLS now have their own soccer specific stadium that's built just for them. Um, that's right size. Now some of the women's professional teams are building their own stadiums as well. So it's, it's certainly growing. U.S. soccer wants to build a, um, a national soccer center. Um, they're, wow. You're marking that for the Atlanta area, um, and that's where the national team and the national offices will be headquartered. And uh, they're looking to outlay, you know, probably half a million dollars on that project with mm-hmm. fields and locker rooms and training centers and things like that. So um, the sport is definitely growing. Um, sponsors are coming to the sport left and right. And, uh, so it's, it's an exciting time to be in soccer and to be a soccer, soccer. Excellent. Well, that's always a credit. I've always felt to soccer players being able to run up and down a field for 90 minutes, you know, and two different halves without any stoppage and things like that. So that's a credit to how athletic they actually are. Um, also, um, Hopefully this will be a uh, lesson for everybody about soccer. And uh, for those who may not have had an interest in it, hopefully this, this podcast will stir up a little interest in them and they'll go look, visit your site. So Tim, the last word goes to you. Um, any parting thoughts uh, for any of uh, the listeners that might be living in Pennsylvania, how can they get involved in Pennsylvania West soccer? Also provide the listeners with any projects you're working on and what does the future hold for Pennsylvania West soccer? So that's uh, there's a lot of a lot of questions there, a lot of answers. Uh, let me try to let me try to be as succinct as possible. Uh, anybody can reach out if they want to volunteer as a coach or volunteer in some other capacity. Uh, I would suggest they can certainly reach out to us, but I would suggest looking up um, the the club closest to you and and having contact with them. Uh, that gets you that gets you in at the grassroots level to help, help start with the game. But it, certainly if they want to work with us at our level, reach out to me. Uh, my, my, the, uh, my phone number and email are both on, on our website, pos-soccer.org, uh, as are a list of all the clubs in Western Pennsylvania. And if you're an adult and you want to play, uh, there's an adult tab on the website as well. You can, um, you can find the appropriate, uh, the appropriate league there and uh, contact that individual to help uh, get connected with, with league. Um, as far as what's, you know, what's in the future, uh, we're looking to continue to grow, add some clubs in some areas that we don't currently have, um, have so- where we don't have soccer clubs. There's probably soccer being played there, but they're not affiliated with, uh, with us or anyone else. So we'd like to bring them into the fold. Um, some things that we're excited about that we're working on is parent education pieces to try to a help parents have a little better perspective uh, on the game and on their child's participation in sport and what they should expect. And hopefully it will, it will help them to be um, better participants from a spectator sideline where they'll maybe just sit and watch their child enjoy the game instead of being too wrapped up in the outcome. Um, you know, it's it's a process, and I, I know anybody that watches pro pro sports hears pro coaches in every game say it's a, it's about the process, not the outcome. And certainly at the youth level, it definitely is about the process of the kid learning and playing, learning to play, and not the result of the game. So, um, you know, we're we're going to try to uh, expand that. We're also looking to uh, 
uh, improve and continue. We've, we had uh, two of our former referees uh, officiate at the men's world cup this, this past uh, men's world cup. And we had one of our referees go to the women's world cup. So uh, we're, we're excited to continue to bring new referees along and train them and hopefully get, uh, get them into the pipeline so that they can, uh, they can be our next to go to the world cup. Excellent. Um, in case we don't get players there. Well, I hope that this podcast will generate some interest for Pennsylvania U.S. soccer. Um, and uh, it's been great to reconnect with you, Tim. It's been a long, long time. Hopefully we can stay in touch and uh, maybe do another podcast down the road. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on. And you've definitely been very informative about soccer. Um, so this definitely was a learning lesson, not just for me, but everybody listening. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Total Sports Recall. So for Tim McCoy, this is Harv Aronson. And if you wish to make any comments about the conversation with Tim, have any other suggestions or would like to talk about Total Sports Recall, you can reach me at my email, totalsportsrecall at gmail.com or on my Twitter page using the handle TSRHarv59. And be sure to visit my website at www.totalsportsrecall.com as well as checking out my YouTube channel, Total Sports Recall. With that, I wish everyone a safe and enjoyable week ahead. This is Harv Aronson saying goodbye. The contents of this podcast do not represent the opinions of others and are solely the opinions of Harv Aronson based on his experience, knowledge, and research. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.